Welcome to the Family Worship Companion, supplementing your personal reading of Scripture with a Christ-centered emphasis and real-life application for every member of the family. Have you ever felt that you had victory over a certain sin only to commit it again? That's what we find in Genesis 20, when Abraham, going to Gerar, conceals the fact that Sarah is his wife. We've been here before. And what we find once again is that God is faithful despite the foolishness of Abraham. While the disturbing nature of Genesis 19 is immediately obvious, in this chapter, Genesis 20, though it's not so apparent, perhaps it's even more troubling, as we see Abraham put in jeopardy the plan of God. In the opening two verses, for reasons not given, we find Abraham moving to south-central Israel, to a place called Gerar. It is there once again that he takes the approach of concealing the fact that Sarah is his wife. And perhaps he had reason to fear. It's not unheard of that kings in those days may have gone to battle for the sake of a beautiful woman. Although Sarah is a much older lady at this stage, it may be that not only is she distinct from us, she's going to live, as we've said before, to 127, but in addition, her youthfulness may have been revitalized by what God is doing in preparing her for giving birth to Isaac. And so Abimelech, king of Gerar, sends for Sarah and takes her. Now this, this name, Abimelech, is more of a title, a bit like Pharaoh, rather than an actual name. In verses 3 through 8, despite Abraham's folly, God visits the king. And like Pilate's wife in the New Testament, God comes to Abimelech in a dream. Abimelech argues his innocence, but what God tells him is that the only reason he hasn't sinned is because God had prevented him from doing so. God then gives Abimelech a choice between obedience and death. And so in the morning when he wakes up, he informs his entire household of what has transpired. The response of Abimelech's men is great fear. Maybe there was something spiritual in these men, or maybe it was the fact that what they had heard about Sodom and Gomorrah had brought fear for themselves into their own hearts. And so in verses 9 through 13, Abimelech rebukes Abraham, basically asking him, what on earth were you thinking? Why have you wronged me? And Abraham gives his response from verse 11, basically saying, one, I thought you guys don't fear God and feared for my life. And two, I have this agreement with my wife already. When we go to new places, this is what we say. And so following that, in verses 14 through 16, Abimelech, no doubt shaken by God's revelation to him, endeavors to show favor to Abraham. He lavishes livestock on him, servants, a thousand pieces of silver. He gives them the choice of the land and restores Sarah to him as well. And so the chapter ends with Abraham the prophet successfully interceding for Abimelech and the restoration of the fruitfulness of his household. And so we come to application. One, do not question the power of old besetting sins. Decades have passed since Abraham was in Egypt and had basically spun the same story to them as he told to the men of Gerar and Abimelech. Now, what we learn from this clearly then is that there's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not, as Scripture says. The best of men are men at best, 
and we find this again and again and again. Like some of those vines that we find here in South Carolina that are almost impossible to kill, so it is with some of our sins. Never brag about a victory. Two, children, we learn from verse 6 that all sin, first and foremost, is against God. Now, sin may hurt other people by what we say or what we do, but it's first against God because it is God's law that we have broken. We also learn that ignorance of sin is still sin. Abimelech was not aware of the wrong that he was doing, but his ignorance of that fact didn't remove or change the fact that what he was about to do or desiring to do was indeed sin. This is why we pray not only that God would forgive us, but that he might deliver us from evil. Three, human cowardice is a constant danger for all of us. And sometimes it manifests in the most offensive of ways. Abraham, a man who was ready to drop everything and risk his life for the sake of his nephew, on another occasion is unwilling to put any risk towards himself in relation to his wife. But Abraham is not alone here. Many a man has fallen foul of the temptation to be quicker to protect the interests of their boss than the needs of wife and children. Four, don't deny the reality or presence of common grace. Some believers go around imagining that everything in the world is as bad as it can be, and that's not the case at all. Abraham, possibly because of the events surrounding Sodom, imagines that the men of Gerar are far worse than they actually are. When Moses penned this history, it was important for the Israelites to understand that not all people are as bad as those found in Sodom, and not all kings are as bad as the Pharaoh that enslaved them for years in Egypt. And so it is in our day. Just because a political leader or maybe a businessman isn't a Christian doesn't mean that God has withheld the common grace that enables them to do their job well. Five, believers are at times a public embarrassment, as is Abraham in this chapter. Verses 9 and 10 reflect the damage that Abraham has caused to his own testimony. Verse 16 almost comes across as sarcasm. Abimelech is interacting with Sarah and refers to Abraham as thy brother, after the fact that they had established that he's much more than that. So it's almost like Abimelech is, 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 is making fun or in some way poking at the, the, the tragedy of Abraham. And he seems to have lost credibility here. And, and again, this can be you and me. We can become a public embarrassment if we are not careful in how we live our lives. Six, learn again how God's people are protected not by their own power, but by God's. Just as Lot was delivered in the previous chapter, as a believer, God intervenes and pulls him out of Sodom. So it is for Abraham here, and indeed Sarah, because they know God and are believers, despite their own folly, God intervenes and God protects. Dear Christian, do not imagine that you are succeeding in the Christian life by your own strength. This is all of God. Thank Him for His grace every day, and when we fall, throw ourselves on the ground and say, Lord, I can't do this without your help. 
Finally, we learn in a very vivid fashion how God's purpose depends on God and not upon his people. I don't know what stage Sarah is at here with regard to what God had promised. Is she already pregnant with Isaac? Is that just about to happen? Whatever the case, we see Abraham's selfishness is jeopardizing the whole plan of God. Imagine either A, Sarah's not pregnant and God is preparing her body and she ends up falling pregnant by Abimelech. Or, or B, she is pregnant, only just, but she's taken by Abimelech and in that scenario, when Isaac is born, no one knows who the father is. They imagine that he belongs to Abimelech. Whatever the case, this, this is a potential disaster with regard to the plan of God, either utterly overthrowing it or in some way confusing the redemptive narrative that God is weaving through Abraham's life. And so what we find here is that this whole promise that begins in Genesis 3.15 depends entirely upon God. He is having to intervene, he is having to protect his intentions, and, and, and his people, even the best of his people, are failing, falling flat in their face time and time again. Oh, how encouraging it is for you and for me to know that the entire plan of salvation all depends upon God, not of us. And even what is still laid up for the believer, for you and for me, is going to be fulfilled not by our faithfulness, but by a God who is faithful to his plan, to his promises, and will bring to pass everything that he has said.